Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. I'm Matt Greer, sitting in for Chris Hill this week. And joining me in studio from Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross, from Motley Fool Income Investor, James Early, and from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Seth Jason. Guys, welcome. Mac, how are you? Guys, I'm good. Chris, not so good. He's he's got this sinus thing, so he's out sick. It's no excuse. Um, You know, but but he does. I mean, he used in an email, he basically said his head was about to explode, and then he mentioned the phrase oral surgery. (laughs) We have expensive equipment in here. We can't have heads exploding. There you go. So if any of our listeners have like a miracle sinus remedy, radio at fool.com. That's radio at fool.com. powders, something like that. Smacklers. You're a big fan? powders, yeah. Okay, good. On this week's show, we're going to talk Nike, Netflix, and the business of coffee. Plus, as always, we will share some stocks on our radar. Um, but Ron, let's talk about the big macro. Let's. Lots let's to talk about. twist again, Mac, we, shall we? Ah, no, let's bury oh. our heads in the sand and, and nice, not worry about Nice, this. referring to the, the latest Fed stimulus, Operation Twist. They don't want to call it yes. a stimulus. Mac, we can't keep doing stimuluses that don't stimulate. This is really the heart of the problem. The Fed, in its infinite wisdom, they're going to spend $400 billion. They're going to sell short-term treasuries. They're going to buy long-term treasuries. And the hope here is that they're going to push down interest rates, which actually, it, it was... It, it, it is successful. Rates have gone down, at least since this announcement. However, what also went down was the stock market. And right. it basically imploded right right before our very eyes. Because, so they announced this on Wednesday, right. and the market just has a terrible day on Thursday. Right. So, so people are coming to the realization that the economy is in very bad shape, and the Fed really does not have the necessary tools to do anything about it. And therefore, what happens next? And when that happens, people want to sell stocks pretty quickly. Um, And it is relatively scary, not just here, but overseas. We have a global problem, and there doesn't seem to be any real solution to get us out of it. And the Fed is like the kid who's trying too hard to be cool, and it just doesn't work. (laughs) It's not the Fed's job necessarily to resurrect the economy. Well, Uh, it is part of their job. A little bit, but but, but not fully. And and, and they're succeeding in driving down long-term interest rates like some wee bit. But the the point that they're missing is that long-term interest rates are already very low and people aren't borrowing already. So there's not going to be many marginal borrowers who are going to suddenly jump at this. And, And that's the problem. Well, they're hoping that people like me will go out and, you know, refinance a mortgage, take that extra 300 some dollars a month and spend it on new iPods. And that's going to happen, but it's it's not going to have a huge effect on the economy. But at this point, we need every little bit of help it can get. And of course, I think you guys agree that kind of economic cycles are to a huge degree psychological. And so we we need to do something to get the... And Uncle Ben did not help with the phrase significant downside risks. Yeah, but those were already... This is a little bit like telling somebody, yeah, you need to take your medicine. And then all of a sudden they go, wait, I was sick. Yeah. Yeah. Medicine? No. So James, let's go back to that overseas piece that Ron was talking about. We've got concerns over the banks in Europe. We've got Italy now um, getting downgraded. And we've got the ongoing crisis in Greece and whether or not Greece may default. So just all sorts of issues in Europe. What does that mean for investors? Well, first with Italy. Italy gave us pizza and, and, and Fabio, so I'm reluctant to speak <laughs> ill of it. But, but it's clearly the next domino to fall. Um, Greece is already effectively defaulted. You know, Default is not a black and white thing. It's a gray area, and, and, and all this rigmarole that's gone on is to sort of mask or, or, or make unofficial the, the, the 
effective Greek default. Italy is next. Their GDP to debt ratio is, is second only to Greece in, in Europe. So that's what's coming next. The question is how far will it spread? We don't know, but European stocks have gotten hammered, and I actually wonder if some of them might be good buys now. Okay, Seth, so as all this plays out, what should we be asking about our portfolios? What should investors be doing? Well, unfortunately, you had to answer those questions a while ago. Anybody who is investing in stocks is hopefully doing so for uh, long, the long term. If you are in, in need of selling stocks right now, it's, it's of course, not a great time to do it. So uh, probably the best idea for anybody to start with is go again through and make sure that your asset allocation is appropriate for your own financial position. If you are about to retire, you need to you know make sure that you are more in in things like bonds and liquid investments. Um, you mean like water stocks? And like, like water stocks or <laughs> dividend-paying stocks, things like that that are going to pay you some income. You're not just depending on capital gains next month or next year uh, in order to get your living expenses. Uh, because this is the kind of thing, there's going to be significant volatility. There will be buying opportunities. There will be selling opportunities, depending on how active you want to be. But it's going to be completely unpredictable. You're listening to Motley Fool Money or we hope you still are, <laughs> talking about some of the week's big business stories. We've also got a daily podcast called Market Foolery. You can listen to that on iTunes or at marketfoolery.com. Next up, guys, a shakeup at HP. CEO Leo Apotheker is out. Former CEO of eBay, Meg Whitman, is in. Failed um, gubernatorial candidate, Meg Whitman? That would be one in the is same. That, is that her? Now, if you're feeling bad about the old CEO, he's going to take home $7 million in severance and $18 million in stock for being CEO less than 11 months. Boy, he, that's good work. Yeah, that is yeah, good yeah. work. Especially if you can get like making those tough decisions such as we're not going to do the tablet anymore. Wait, we are going to do the tablet. We're not going to do computers anymore. No, wait, we are going to do computers. Okay, Seth. So can Meg Whitman make better decisions? No, of course not. Meg Whitman, uh, what did she do at eBay? Did, did, did she not just ride a very popular website to stock you? did stock did tremendous stock things did well, did, what was there. Meg responsible for I'm not really sure she seems like really a middle management type to me remember what is needed at now, HP hold on right hold now. on though in her defense I mean she she came from Hasbro she had a lot of executive PhD experience. Hasbro. yeah that's yeah. what I'm saying she's like a uh, she's sort of a mid-level executive where's the where's the vision where's the game-changing vision at eBay eBay was already what it was when Meg got there what HP is going to need is a combination of uh, or, or one of two things. They're either going to need to make uh, a heck of an acquisition or two. Uh, Meg's uh, most famous acquisition would be what? Would that be Skype, Skype. over at eBay? Skype. Yeah, Skype. Uh, utter failure. And uh, Or some real leadership on creating some products that, that everybody must have. HB has never been able to do that. Carly Fiorina was hoping to do that, and, and that didn't work out. It hasn't worked out at all. So in the meantime, HP is slugging it out in low-margin businesses like computers, servers, switches. And if HP can't resign itself just to sort of being an inflationary growth company with narrowed margins, uh, I think there's some trouble because I don't think Meg Whitman can change that. Yeah, I mean, she obviously has experience running a company. After all, she ran eBay into the ground. Um, and, and she did buy, to Seth's point, she, she bought Skype for $2.6 billion and promptly had to, to sell it. But I think the biggest strike against her is that she doesn't have any experience with a business enterprise uh, technology company, and that's what this is. She says, oh, we've purchased that as, at eBay before, but that's weak. Okay, well, in a previous life, on a previous radio show back in 2000, we actually um, interviewed Meg Whitman when she was CEO of eBay. Um, the show was, um, we taped it live at the Stanford Bookstore um, out in California. And Steve Broido, I'm going to bring you on because you have an interesting Meg Whitman story. We had some technical issues, I think it's fair to say. The segment was not going 
all that well. Steve, take it from there. Sure. So uh, Meg was sitting behind a microphone that was on a stand that was very loose, and the microphone kept sort of drooping. Uh, and it was and she. So she'd be off on mic, and the mic would kind of fall. So I walked over during a break. I said, you know, uh, Miss Woman, if this microphone droops, you just go ahead and droop with it. <laughs> did uh, Steve, did she find the humor in that? No. I don't think she did. No. 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 Hey, can I bring it back? Can I can I not pick on Meg Whitman for a few seconds sure. since I've already done it? I think the real, uh, what's the word I'm looking? What would be the kindest word here? Bozos in this story. It's the HP board. Absolutely. This is a group clown of, fest. This yeah. is a group of people that takes home. I just I checked their proxy before we came in here. Between three hundred and four hundred, upwards of on the way to five hundred thousand bucks worth of cash and equity, and they're standing around reversing decisions, uh, making statements that indicate that they're barely following the business, and they ought to be ashamed of themselves. And quite frankly, the shareholders the shareholders ought to throw them all out next Se- time the elections are up. Seven off. CEOs since 1999 for HP. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a terrible board, and it needs to be fixed. Well, relatively speaking, and, and again, in Meg Whitman's defense, because you said that she ran eBay into the ground, but you've got PayPal, and eBay still a very profitable company. Right, well, B- so, PayPal was a, was a good acquisition, but again, it was sort of, again, that's like getting on a, a good horse and watching it go. It, it fit pretty well, but I'm not sure that, that, that that's the work of genius that, uh, for Meg Whitman, and it's something that HP is going to need. Shares of Nike were up big on Friday after stronger-than-expected earnings. Um, Nike also raised its sales forecast. Ron, didn't Nike get the memo about the global economy? (laughs) Hey, you know, some consumer companies are still getting it done. Um, They uh, had strong sales uh, across the world, except for Western Europe, not surprisingly. Um, But they they really are doing a great job. The big story for Nike was a a concern over margins uh, getting squeezed because of higher raw material costs and transportation costs. And and we did see some of that, but it was better than expected. And Nike has such uh, pricing power that they are actually able to increase prices to offset those uh, higher costs. And I think we'll see uh, more of that later um, in in the next quarter and the quarter after that. And so it looks like earnings will continue to be strong. Who here had the original Air Jordans? Remember when they first came out? <laughs> I did not. I was. I did. Uh, I was in on the original uh, Nike waffle shoes uh, and, and the the immediate successors. One thing I, I'll say about Nike is it's a rare combination of kind of a fad company that actually has products that diehard athletes also really need. In other words, I run in Nike running shoes, and the whole thought of it bugs me because it's such a brand-based company. But for me, the, their running shoes really are the best thing out there, and that's one of the strengths they have. Coming up, we're going to talk about Netflix, a lot going on there, and Wendy's redesigning their burger. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Matt Greer sitting in for Chris Hill this week, and I am joined in studio by Seth Jason, James Early, and Ron Gross. Guys, what a week for Netflix. Mm. Not, not a good week. <laughs> not a good week. You know, on Friday, the stock was up. So some some good news there, I guess. But on Sunday, let's go back to Sunday. Okay, CEO Reed Hastings apologizes for the recent price hike. That's good, right? No, it wasn't. Okay. It was like a well, Jerry, it was a weird combination of a long-winded Jerry Maguire type apology that was also kind of tone deaf and that, I mean, it was emailed to me as a member, as a member of Netflix and with a sort of pretend return address as if Reed Hastings had sent this to me personally. Now, I knew I wasn't the only one, but <laughs> it seemed like, you thought for a moment, but it sounded you, like if you hit reply, what, I thought this is kind of gutsy. Like, you like I thought, you know, you could actually respond to him. That's pretty cool. And then you hit respond and they didn't even have like the decency 
to just throw them in the trash. You got the thing that said like, this is a no response email address. And then he went on from there to, to try and explain to members who were already smarting from a 30, 40, 50, 60% price increase that, you know, the real reason they were doing that is that they were going to split the business into, they were going to rename the beloved Netflix uh, disc business Quickster. So that's the big news. They've got two businesses. Netflix is going to be the streaming business. The new business, the DVD business, will now go by the name of Quickster. I think it's fair to say the now much maligned Quickster Well, it's a horrible name, but it's also a pretty bad idea because uh, a majority or a large plurality of their membership had stuck with them through the price increase, had stayed in in both pieces, in other words, the mail and the streaming portion of it. And part of that was because it was so convenient. You could move things from one spot to another. Now you got to visit two different websites. You can't handle the queues the same way. And if that seems like a little thing, it sure didn't to tens of thousands of Netflix members who just laid into Reed Hastings and a Facebook thread telling him, you're making this more difficult for me. And of course, he was making it much easier for them to seek alternatives, even if those alternatives aren't as good, like you know Amazon streaming video. You know, the streaming part is obviously the future, and we're in such the infancy of that streaming business. It's it's really hard to say who the winner is going to be. It certainly is, is not a slam dunk that it's going to be Netflix. There's a competition is fierce. The content owners are really the kings here, and they're in the driver's seat. Um, and we saw recently where Netflix lost the stars content. Um uh, which uh, is the Disney content as well as some others. Uh, and this is going to be tough. Rising content costs and increased competition do not bode well. Seth, you wrote about Amazon um, potentially being the big winner from all this. Well, I think it's it's a long shot at, at, at this point, or it looks like a long shot because Amazon's streaming uh, – video right now. If you are a Prime member, the price is right. You get thousands of titles for free. But no, there's there's absolutely no queue management or organization really to speak of. So it's definitely not as convenient a solution as Netflix. The problem for Netflix is right now is that a lot of their members are really ticked off and they're willing to put up with a less convenient alternative because they feel like they've been they've been disrespected in some way by, by Reed Hastings. And an apology that seemed really more arrogant than the original the original price hike. Okay, so what does Netflix need to do to reverse the slide? They might just need to keep delivering and, and keep Reed Hastings away from the email account. <laughs> this it's just gonna cost some money. They need they need to spend money on content and they need to keep prices reasonable um, because competition's gonna be coming in and this isn't gonna be cheap. Whoever wins this is gonna have to throw a lot of capital at it. And so for investors, what does that mean? That means could be, um, <laughs> things could get worse. You know, obviously, after a fifty percent pullback, it, it, it's could it's an interesting thing to look at. Um, and but I, as I said earlier, the, the winner of of this game is is it's too hard to tell right here. It's it's such in the infancy of it. So you know, if it gets really cheap, it, it might be worth uh, purchasing. But um, you know, you'd have to have real insight into how this shakes out. And uh, this week in dividends, James, both Microsoft and McDonald's increasing their dividends. I know that warms your heart. Um, let's start with Microsoft. Uh, sure, Mac. I mean, the story is sort of, it is what it is. It's, it's simple, but I like it. Microsoft has a 25% increase. That's good for them. They're finally waking up a decade too late to reality, but but better late than never. They actually didn't raise last year, so this is a bit of a catch-up raise for them. But it's finally good to see a tech company admitting that, all tech companies are not just about growth, and it's okay to pay a dividend. Uh, McDonald's only raised 15%, but only is, is 15% is great. And this is its uh, every year it's raised since 1976, which is 35 years now. Uh, pretty darn good. 
And finally, Wendy's has redesigned its burger. Guys, it's going with a thicker patty, extra cheese, and a buttered bun. So everything's changing except the ketchup is what I read. Um, Wendy's has been losing market share to McDonald's. Ron, this is all part of Wendy's redesigning its menu, potentially redesigning some stores. How about one suggestion for Wendy's improving its experience? Yeah, which, Wendy's struggles surprise me because I actually think it's one of the better fast food places to go. Uh, my family and I would, would probably choose that over the others. And I think the quality of the food is better. So it somewhat surprises me. How many me, times but... a day or a week do you eat at fast food? <laughs> z- z- <laughs> on average, zero. But You've talked about Chick-fil-A. Yeah, Chick-fil-A is pretty my familiar favorite. With Chick-fil-A is my favorite. What I would do is I would introduce sliders, you know, little mini pa- uh, pancakes. What, where am I? Little mini hamburgers. So you get three, you get six, you get nine. Yep. Maybe in a little sack like White Castle does it. Uh, I think that would uh, be yeah, a nice but menu. You're, you're, any, anything you make uh, extra, you have to pay out in vomit cleanup fees from the drunks <laughs> no, coming in late at quality. night. No, I'm talking about the drunks who like sliders. <laughs> okay, James. I, one of two things. One, I'd go international fusion. Um, we are a nation of, <laughs> of all different nationalities and ethnicities and cultures now, and, and we're kind of going that way anyway, so let's stop with the heart disease stuff and, and do something different and interesting. Not everybody likes burgers and fries. That's one option. The second one would just to be to go for like the world's thickest patty because that would be like sort of a, a big uh, uh, media draw. Yeah, but then they're just going to be in a fight with Hardee's. Like, Someone else could do like a slightly quickly. thicker patty. Yeah. yeah. Seth, yeah. what are you what are you going to do to improve Wendy's? Besides covering me with hot cheese the moment I enter the store, uh, I think they need to. <laughs> I think they need to. What uh, image that is? How long you I like about melted cheese. I really on do. yourself. Too. No, well, it would, it would get out of the food, right? Anyway, I think that they need to work on the redesign first. I think the menu is fine. The menu, I'm with Ron. The menu at Wendy's is pretty good. The food is pretty high quality. But most Wendy's, the locations are a little funky to me, and the stores look kind of dingy. Actually, they're usually pretty clean inside, I've found. But from the outside, they look dated. They look old. And even McDonald's, which has you know pretty old restaurant base, has done a lot to upgrade a lot of their locations. So I would start with the store redesigning the upgrades first. Steve? I would do two things. One, I would bring back the salad bar. Do you guys remember the Wendy salad bar? Oh, yeah, It was I delightful. Do. It was delightful. Really? The sneeze-filled yeah. Yeah. lettuce. <laughs> and the second, the second thing I would do is I would I would remove the skylight vestibules they have in the front of them. Do you remember we sometimes in Wendy's, the front of the oh, stores? Oh, they still have those. Have these it's skylights. Yeah. yeah kind of a- creepy, the growing things or something in there. <laughs> Well, if you have any ideas on how to improve Wendy's, we want to hear from you. Our email is radio at fool.com. That's radio at fool.com. Seth, James, and Ron, we'll catch you later in the show. But up next, CNBC's Scott Wapner on the business of coffee. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. They got an awful lot of coffee in Brazil. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Matt Greer sitting in for Chris Hill this week. Chris is under the weather, but earlier in the week, he had an opportunity to talk about the business of coffee with CNBC's Scott Wapner. Scott Wapner is the host of CNBC's Fast Money Halftime Report, and he's the host of a new CNBC documentary, The Coffee Addiction. It premieres on Thursday, September 29th at 9 p.m. Eastern. Scott, thanks for being here. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Chris. Thanks. Um, so you've done documentaries for CNBC on everything from the business of ultimate fighting to obesity in America. What got you interested in coffee? Well, I think it's, it's something we all seemingly can't live without. I know I can't. Uh, first, neither can I. Uh, first and foremost, you know, that was it. So, you know, when you, when you think about 
that first and foremost. And then when you realize, when you take a look from, you know, let's, let's take it from a stock perspective or a Wall Street perspective, you take a look at what these companies' stock prices have done over the last year or year to date, and it's pretty mind-blowing the success that some of these companies have had. Starbucks has been trading close to a new high or, you know, now a few bucks off it. Green Mountain's run has been phenomenal. Uh, and, you know, some of these other companies that are publicly traded as well. So it just seemed like one of those natural commodities for us to look at. Uh, coffee prices had been trading at an all-time high earlier in the year as well. So all of those things kind of came together and seemed like a good thing to take a look at to see really what was behind that phenomenon. Then one of the things I love about the documentaries you guys do is um, you really go all over the place, uh, regardless of the topic that you're exploring. Um, when I spoke with your colleague, Carl Quintanilla, I think it was about a year ago, and he mm-hmm. was doing one on the trash industry. He, he went to landfills halfway around the world. You, for this one on coffee, you go to remote areas in Peru. You literally cross the Amazon. Um, for people like me who are never going to go into the Amazonian jungle, <laughs> what was that like? Uh, well, you have to go to where the story is, you know. So you you get there, and okay, you figure, yeah, okay, Lima's probably you know pretty pretty large, pretty cool city. Then you realize that we're taking a, a flight about an hour or so north, and then driving a few hours, and then you get onto this little tiny boat with all of your camera gear and equipment and a bunch of guys and you cross a tributary to the Amazon which in and of itself you know has the exotic feel to it so you're kind of wondering you know where in the world are we and then when you get out into the middle of the jungle uh... you know you realize that there's no turning back Um, it was probably every descriptive word you could come up with uh... to describe that whole trip uh... amazing crazy, unbelievable, um, or just to be out in, in literally the middle of the jungle in one of the most remote places in Peru, and to go on a four-plus-hour hike straight uphill in mud that is up to your ankles was probably the most difficult thing that I've ever done in my life. You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Scott Wapner, host of CNBC's new documentary, The Coffee Addiction. Uh, it premieres next Thursday, September 29th at 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, okay, Scott, I go into a grocery store. Let's say I buy uh, a pound of coffee beans for $12, $14. Um, walk me back through the economics. Um, the, the farmer in Peru that you spoke of, um, how much is he getting and, and, and who's getting a cut along the way to the point that I'm buying it in the grocery store? Well, I mean, it's a difficult, it's a difficult subject, right? You've got the, the family in Peru who's, who's living uh, with, you know, next to nothing, hopefully a roof over their head, and then they're farming these, these coffee beans, high-quality ones at that, where literally you're you could get twelve, fourteen dollars, or, or you know, in some cases, even more than that, a pound. Now, one of the issues in with with these people growing the beans and, and getting them into the the trade routes, they're working oftentimes with with co-ops that are working with a bunch of small farmers to make the connections with the the wholesalers and the buyers who are coming from the United States and elsewhere to even get the beans over here in the first place. Now, we're talking. Uh, you know, specialty coffee, and in, in large cases, uh, 
Arabica beans that, that we're, you know, most of us are, are familiar with. So you've got the small farmer who has to pay the, the co-op, obviously, for, for facilitating the relationships and, be, and being you know, some sort of a, a middleman and doing a lot of the administrative work uh, that it takes, obviously, to, to have that kind of commerce going on. Uh, then you have to pay, you know, by the time the, the coffee roaster goes to Peru and he finds the beans, so there's the, the co-op cost is factored in, there's the, the roaster and, and the, the fixed costs that are involved there, the import charges. The roaster could be paying a couple of bucks a pound, uh, if that, maybe even a little bit less to the coffee farmer. And by the time it gets to the grocery store, once everything is factored in, it could be 12 to $14. And that, it, it, it probably on the surface sounds like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like the coffee farmer uh, is getting all that much. And I guess in, in, in reality, you know, maybe they're not. But, um, you know, between organizations like Fair Trade, which try and make sure that the coffee farmers are getting their, their fair share and, and you know, the, the process is, is done fairly, uh, that's just the nature of, of the way that the business is once, once everything is factored in. The fact of the matter is it's not that easy to get beans from the middle of some place like Peru onto the specialty coffee shelf in New York City, for example. There's a lot that goes into it. So you're in the remote jungle in Peru, but uh, for this documentary you're also sitting down with Howard Schultz, uh, CEO of Starbucks, mm-hmm. uh, going to uh, local uh, coffee shops across America. Um, what surprised you the most when you were working on this documentary? Uh, I think first and foremost, I mean, that the Peru thing, just, just realizing that there, there are coffee roasters out there who are willing to go that far to, to find great coffee beans. I mean, some, you know, look, you, you could sit, in today's age, you could sit at your home computer uh, and, and do most of this stuff, and perhaps most roasters out there do that. But we were with a guy from a small roaster outside Seattle who was looking as much for a good story as he was for the beans themselves, a good story to go along with the beans. Uh, you know, maybe it's a bit of a marketing uh, thing, but for him it was certainly more than just find, finding good good quality coffee. Uh, the other thing was, in, in speaking with Howard Schultz, and, and he details a lot of this in his book, uh, Onward, is just how open he was to some of the mistakes that, that Starbucks had made over the past several years. And, you know, I guess it's easy to to be open and honest when you've hit the bottom and have been able to come back as robustly as they have. Uh, it's easy to to be able to talk about your mistakes once you've once you've gotten past them and been able to rebound as uh, remarkably really uh, as they have been. I mean, Starbucks had record profits and and, and revenues in 2010, and a few years ago that seemed about as far fetched a proposition as you could come up with. You're listening to Motley Full Money, talking with Scott Wapner from CNBC. He's the host of the new documentary, The Coffee Addiction. Scott, it seems like every six months or so, there is a study about the health benefits of coffee. And as someone who drinks a lot of coffee every day, I certainly hope they're all true. Uh, what did you learn about the effect of coffee on the human body? Well, I mean, I think it's a give and take. Look, for, there's, there's going to be somebody out there who says that uh, all that caffeine uh, is not good for you. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, I mean, there really, it's not, 
it's not a tremendous amount of, of caffeine in, uh, in a cup of coffee. It's not going to make you do, and we talked to a, a, a medical doctor who said, uh, look, you could have five cups of coffee. You're not going to, it's not going to make you kill your wife. I mean, you're not going <laughs> to, you don't have to, uh, it's not some habit that you have to, to, to give up. Uh, and in, in his estimation, there are actually, you know, many benefits to, to some of the caffeine uh, that is in, in coffee. You'll have some people out there who say there are some, you know, in, inherent risks, I guess. But uh, I think we found that, um, that in, in the big picture, there really isn't anything, at least according to the medical experts that we spoke with, uh, that you really had to be uh, concerned about. And certainly the medical expert that we spoke with wasn't really concerned about it at all. In your day-to-day job at CNBC, you're the host of uh, Fast Money Halftime Report. Yeah. Um, obviously, you're seeing a lot of numbers every day. Um, I'm curious, what, what are one or two numbers or metrics that you're looking at right now to judge the health of the U.S. economy? Wow. You know, I mean, everybody talks about the, the uh, unemployment number, and which is uh, depressing, obviously, because it's not getting any better. And the jobless situation in the United States is, is a real problem, but I almost look, and I think that the most important thing to look at is not necessarily here, but, but is over in China. I know there's a lot of focus right now on what's happening over in Europe with the, the sovereign debt crises, uh, you know, uh, spread across that continent, but China, to me, is the, is the key to the whole story, really. If, if the Chinese economy slows too dramatically, if there's a so-called hard landing where they can't engineer uh, either a soft landing or no landing at all, frankly, uh, then we could have real problems because we rely so heavily on, on China uh, as, a, uh, as a trade partner, obviously, uh, that any hint of a, a major slowdown, frankly, puts the global economy at, at real risk, which is interesting in and of itself because that's one of the reasons why I think you know, people talk about all the time, well, is China going to stop buying our treasuries, this, that, and the other thing. Um, I think China, and there was even talk last week, you know, that China may be, uh, you know, buying bonds uh, from, from some of these uh, European countries that are in trouble. Uh, I think China is going to do anything it can, anything and everything it can, to keep Europe and the United States from falling off a cliff. Because as its two biggest trading partners, China, frankly, can't afford to have us and Europe go into a double-dip recession, and we certainly can't afford uh, for China to, to slow down so dramatically that it, that it drags the, the world economy down with it. There are a couple of key metrics today that I thought was interesting. For example, Alpha Natural Resources, Walters Energy warned about coal deliveries. You saw uh, rail stocks take a huge hit off that. Transports were down big. And one of the issues is talking about a slowdown in China, and that's that's alarming. I mean, that's the kind of thing that that roils the market. So I, I really have my eye set on what's happening over in China, and not to discount it in any way, shape, or form what's happening over in Europe because it's it's serious and there are potentially huge uh, impacts to, of of that. But watch China. You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Scott Wapner, host of CNBC's new documentary, The Coffee Addiction. All right, we're going to wrap up with a round of buy, sell, or hold. Uh, This company just started accepting political ads. Buy, sell, or hold the future of Twitter. Oh, buy. Tell me why. 
Uh, I just think uh, Twitter, Facebook, they're at the forefront of the, the digital age. I just think that uh, they are such substantial growth companies that uh, when and if both of those companies have initial public offerings, that they'll be wildly successful. Uh, I just think the sky's the limit for, for those two companies. Sometimes this is the only option for coffee drinkers. Buy, sell, or hold non-dairy creamer. Sell. <laughs> Don't put it in my espresso. Would never put it in my espresso. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that. There's talk that this could give the iPad a run for its money. Buy, sell, or hold the soon-to-be-released Amazon tablet. Yeah. Uh, buy. Uh, a lot of anticipation uh, around that. Uh, I've heard people talk about that as really the only device that's in the pipeline that could even come close to challenging what the iPad has done. I, I would, you know, it's hard to say that if I was Apple, I'd be worried, but I'd be polishing the rearview mirror a little bit to, to make sure that I can I can see them. And finally, it's the ultimate companion to coffee, buy, sell, or hold, donuts. Oh, I mean, I, I'm long donuts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you got to go long donuts. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, you can catch him each weekday on Fast Money Halftime Report on CNBC. The new documentary, The Coffee Addiction, premieres Thursday, September 29th at 9 p.m. Eastern. Set your DVRs. It is great stuff. Scott Wabner, thanks so much for being here. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Man, they got a gang of coffee in Brazil. Coming up, stocks on our radar. This is Money Full Money. If you got the money, honey, I've got the time. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Matt Greer, sitting in for Chris Hill this week. Guys, Chris is out sick. We think it's a sinus thing. Mm, feel better, Chris. Yeah, we, yep. hope, we hope he feels better. Seth Jason, James Early, and Ron Gross. Um, guys, time for Stocks on Our Radar. Um, but first, Stocks on Our Radar is brought to you by Encore Woo! Insurance Services. Yes. Encore, Encore. For a free life insurance quote, visit smartterm.com. That's smartterm.com. Or call toll-free 1-866-347-5748. They'll compare rates to help you save. Licensing and disclaimer information can be found at smartterm.com. Okay, guys. One stock on your radar, Ron. Well, back weak markets like this sometimes create the opportunity to buy blue chip stocks, which are not normally considered cheap. And in one circumstance that I've been looking at recently is Disney. It's recently dipped back under thirty, um, down from a high of around forty-four um, earlier in the year. Um, ESPN is is real strong for them still. Even the theme parks are doing well, even in this economy. Now people, of course, think that might not stay stay that way, and the stock is selling off. But if you're a long term investor, this might be a good entry point. Steve, a question for Ron? Sure. Whatever happened to the Disney stores? Do those, do those still exist? They, they they sold them, and then if I if I'm right, they bought them back, um, and they they closed a number of underperforming ones. But yeah, they they do still exist. It's well, where do you get your princess gear? <laughs> Online, <laughs> Disney.com, where eBay? else? Well, I take back everything I said about Meg Whitman. <laughs> uh, ticker symbols D-I-S. James? Mac, I'm looking at McGrath Rent Corp. It's just on my radar. I don't know that I love it yet. The ticker is MGRC. It rents business-to-business equipment and office cubicle furniture. It's been beaten down lately, but it has raised its dividend for 20 years in a row. It yields 4.1% now. Steve? 
Um, how does this company? How is this company doing so well with unemployment nearing? Well, it, it, 10%? it's actually not doing so well, but the stock has been uh, <laughs> going down uh, sort of commensurately. So the idea is that at some point it may be at, at a low. So we might only have up to go from here. Now those are dangerous uh, words, but but. They're true sometimes. Yeah, you can come over and, and join my members and, and me and some of those stocks that can't go any lower. Seth? <laughs> <laughs> I was looking the other day at uh, Papa John's. That's PZZA. Came up on a screen of mine and looked pretty interesting. I, I wasn't sure that the price was awesome at that point, but we've had a pretty down market. Essentially, Papa John's just makes really pretty good cash flow, fairly steady. They've been buying back shares. They sell a premium product in a, in a space where everyone else is sort of trying to always cut costs. And they're, uh, so their sales growth uh, hasn't been great because they're having to compete with people who are selling a lower quality product. But I think it's the right thing to do. It keeps the brand strong, and I think it makes it a healthier business going forward. And so I think it's probably a decent entry point right there for a, a company that is run by a really motivated founder and is interested in making a great product and uh, is relatively inexpensive. Steve? What do you think Papa John's biggest competitive advantage is? Is it quality of product? I would say that it's probably quality of product and and maybe actually that management, that founder uh, management situation. In other words, he takes pride in the product. And you see this if you read the conference call. Someone asks a question with sort of a leading question like, would you consider putting less cheese on a pizza? And, and he says, you know, you're stabbing me in the heart here. We, we, we are never going to do that. Somebody else might do that, but we're not going to do that. That's not what we are. We're going to try to charge two bucks more for the pizza. And I think those kinds of businesses tend to do okay in the long term, although when everyone's trading down, there are tough times. And I think they use him effectively in the advertising by yeah. kind of branding it yeah. um, through him, uh, unlike something like Domino's, which is kind of faceless and, and nameless. Here's the guy who won't cut the cheese. And wow, <laughs> strong. Wow. That's, 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 it's just remember, it's a free show. Okay, <laughs> let's go around the horn here. Ron, one thing you're working on this week over at Million Dollar Portfolio. So as stocks come down, um, opportunities are created. And, and we're looking at, at some blue chip companies, as I just mentioned, that are, are looking perhaps cheap for the first time since 2008, 2009. And we'll be looking hard at those. James at Income Investor, what's I'm going on? I'm looking for my next Income Investor stock. I have like a monthly cycle that I work on, and I'm excited about all the turbulence in Europe because I think there are some good buys there. So I'm not guaranteed that I'm going to find something there, but something good's there. And Seth over at Hidden Gems. We're digging into a whole pile of ideas we have that have gotten a lot cheaper and trying to prioritize which are the cheapest. Guys, thanks for being here. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Mac. Our pleasure, Mac. And thanks to our special guest this week, Scott Wapner from CNBC. The new CNBC documentary is The Coffee Addiction. That's it for this edition of Motley Full Money. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Chris Hill is our regular host, and we hope he's back in action next week. I'm Matt Greer. You can catch our daily podcast, Market Foolery, on Monday. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.